Take a breath in. How often do we intentionally do that? Not often, right? Like I said, my watch reminds me to do that, which is ridiculous. That's, that's how busy our lives are. We, we, we don't have the brain space to remember to breathe. <laughs> that's true. But those deep breaths, those, those relaxing breaths, those moments where we, we be still, it doesn't say we, 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 have to, we have to do stuff in the midst of that being still and knowing that he is God. It says be still. That's it. And sometimes we think we've got to fill it with stuff. We've got to fill it with, I mean, Scripture reading is something else. Being still and knowing that he is God is, is something all unto itself, isn't it? And yet we miss that. Everything in life moves in cycles, doesn't it? Even our breathing is a cycle in and out, in and out. A heart beats to a rhythm all its own. It's very similar between us, but really it's, we each have our own rhythm. We have music going in our life all the time and we don't even know it. Be still and know that he is God. Isn't that amazing to think when you, when you are still, have you ever noticed like you start to feel your heartbeat? Or if you're laying on a pillow, you can hear it in your ear as it's passing through your eardrum. It's really still. That, that rhythm of life, those cycles, we have seasons that are in cycles. We have life that's in cycles. We have conversations. Our conversations are in cycles. You notice that? When we talk to somebody, we talk and then we listen. Right? We talk and then we listen. It's almost like breathing. That's why it's so easy for us to learn to speak as kids is because we're, we're getting used to that rhythm, just breathing. And it becomes natural as breathing, especially for my daughter. Prayer even moves in cycles. You know what I'm talking about? We breathe out our praises. And we find ourselves waiting on the Lord for his responses. We, we also breathe out our requests and our hurts and the things. A lot of times we, we do a lot of breathing out. But yet we need to breathe in his life. And his response. And I, and I think about this. I think about a, a definition of, of God's name. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've seen that. Um, a lot of Jewish literature will have, um, you know, we, we've, we say Yahweh, right? Um, but that's just a, that's, that's Christians kind of giving, it, giving, um, giving a Jewish word um, vowels. Because we can't handle having words that just have consonants. But the name of God, the only way they represent it is this, this um, Y-H-W-H, if it's written in English. Y-H-W-H, capitalized, right? Which are the Jewish letters of yod Hey vad Hey, right? 
Um, and you see jot, jot and tittles. You've ever heard of that? Jot and tittles are the, these little dots and stuff that you see on, in Jewish language that kind of differentiates where there's, um, there's vowels. But yod he vod he is unadorned. Because, you know, the, speaking the name of God is it's not something that you do. But with yod he vod he, I, I, I heard, a, uh, I heard it um, taught one time that it's like breathing. Right? Yod, vod, You ever think about that? That the name of God is breathing. It's our, our breathing out and breathing in, breathing out, breathing in. There's, there's the name of God. And we're constantly breathing, aren't we? Every creature that has breath will praise the Lord. Wouldn't it be intriguing to find that the name of God is, is, is spoken by every creature that breathes in their breath? Because some people say, oh, well, I don't speak the name of God. Yeah, you do. You breathe it every day of your life. Every breath that he gives you gives back praise. Whether you want to or not. That's that pneuma. Numa, the breath of life. So how does this speak to being still this week? You notice the, the rhythms and the cadence of how I'm talking um, last week and this week are different than I normally talk because I am intentionally trying to slow down and intentionally trying to speak in such a way that will Encourage being still. Is there something compelling to you about the breath of God? The breath of life in regards to our being still and recognizing Him? This morning our title is Shalom Meets Koinonia. And this is a, this is a bit of a Jeremy experiment. So this wasn't something I found from a theologian somewhere, but it's something I picked up on in the midst of going through the Word and thinking about being still. Um, and, and for me, you've got to think about this. Peace and people don't always go together, do they? As, as someone who suffers from anxiety from time to time, <laughs> being in large groups can sometimes be overwhelming. Anybody else? Yeah, Tom, yeah. Kenny, all right. And that people can exacerbate anxiousness. Have you ever noticed that? You've ever been in big groups and feel a little bit like, I don't know if I want to be here. Fight or flight starts to kick in. The thing is, is that's not the way it should be. Not the way it should be at all. That's just our day and age. This is the, the thing that our, our culture wrestles with because of our distance from one another. How much we distance ourselves. We, we have cars and trucks and SUVs and things like that. And, and we drive on roads where we can barely see the other person. And we pull into garages and go into our house from the garage. You know, you, you walk around in the south, it's a little different. You walk around in other 
some other countries, it's a little different. But the South, I, I, I think about that as an example because they, they have a tendency to sit out on their porch. And if you're walking by and they don't know you or they might know you or they want to know you, be like, hey, I got some tea on or I got some lemonade. When they say tea, you know, it's, it's probably, probably sweet tea. So if you're diabetic, don't do the tea. <laughs> Lemonade's probably not as sweet as the tea. I've been down to Biloxi. Um, and I'll tell you what, it, it, it's, it's interesting how koinonia and shalom have a paradoxical relationship. Do you know what a paradox is? Paradox is usually two things that don't seem like they would go together, yet they do. Have you noticed that there's a lot of paradoxes in the word? There's a lot of things that... In our world and in our minds, we think they shouldn't go together, but they do. And God makes them go together so well. And koinonia and shalom have this paradox. The two may be at odds. However, God has connected these things for a reason. God is fluent. He is fluent in the crowd and in the intimate. Right? He is fluent in that. You can see this with Jesus. He, he was more familiar with the, uh, more than familiar with the megachurch and with the small group. He knew when to leave both, <laughs> and he knew when to join both, and he knew the, the benefits of both. But he was also fluent in the large and the small, another paradoxical relationship. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this. And this is, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of taking a break, and I'm going into the, the, the Passion translation. And it says, 2, 42 through 47 says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who had need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts. This is interesting, daily. Not just Sunday. I digress. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with, with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. We need to pay attention to the wording. The wording in this, in this, whatever version you're in, it, 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 there's, there's something about their hearts were mutually linked. They were sharing, coming together, sharing fellowship, meeting together. They shared meals together. They were continually filled. There's a whole lot of they in there, isn't there? I, I don't really see a lot of that one person. There's a lot of they and them. You could also say us and we. We are one body. 
Look around you. Take a moment. And there are people that aren't here, but we are still part of the body with them. People you know that go to other churches that are breathing Yod, Vav. We're all one body. Romans 12, 5 says, And so it is in the body of Christ, for though we are many, we, um, we've all mingle, been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are all vitally joined to one another, with each contributing to the others. Being still matters to the body, doesn't it? The first thought here is that true stillness comes through connection. You know that we were created for connection. We are created to be connected. You know, I, I, I hear the, the God-shaped hole a lot. We've, we've heard that before, right? There's a, there's a God-shaped hole in us, and only God fits in that hole. But I think, it's, I think the dimension of that, that's a little two-dimensional. Four-dimensional, three-dimensional, whatever. There's, a, there's something more connected than just a hole that a puzzle piece fits in. We were created with a connection that can only be connected to God. But we were created with connections that are meant to be connected with other people. And if you're not, you're missing out on all, all that the Lord has for you in that being connected and that true stillness that you can have. We are one body. We are connected as, as we should be. So how does this lend itself to shalom? We talked last week, shalom can mean peace, but it also means a completeness, doesn't it? I mean, we, we talked about another uh, definition of it being um, uh, paid for, completely paid for. We know that there is a vitality in being together and oneness in Christ. We know that there's this vitality in that. Um, this, this vitality supports the unity that we enjoy as believers and as the church. This unity will also lend itself to a peace in our lives that goes beyond what this world can experience. So that is how it connects. When we are in fellowship, when we are in the body, when we are being who we are supposed to be in his plan, only then can we experience true shalom, true peace. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says this. Being one body... And one spirit, as you were all called um, into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. For the Lord is one, and, and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father. And He is the perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. Second thought is that true stillness comes through confidence. Confidence. So we got connection. We got confidence. Okay, so tell, tell my daughter a little bit. You know, I 
She's not here. My wife's not here. I can just say whatever I want. I got stories I could tell. You guys ready for that? Uh, we, ha- we have this thing that we would do with Zoe, and um, we'd bring other people into this because we'd go to, go to dinner maybe at a Chinese restaurant, and, and Zoe and Chinese food speaks to this confidence. Okay, maybe it's just the, the um, fortune cookies that would speak to her confidence. Zoe's confidence. So Zoe's confidence is, is we would go and we'd have um, Chinese food with somebody, and, and if it was just us, we'd go, and, and you get to the cookie, and when we, when we pop it open, she couldn't read. So we would read the, you know, it's like you're going to meet some stranger that is going to be a friend, or, you know, and Zoe is awesome. We say it every time on all of ours. And she's like, how do they know this? How did he put that in there? And so from a point where she could communicate and could understand, we were telling her that she was awesome. As parents do, right? As children of God, we should have confidence that brings a peace in our lives because of the love and the care that he shows us. Kids have confidence, right? Or should. This generation is having such a hard time in feeling confident. Because no one's telling them that they're awesome. Like they should be told. We have a generation that's fatherless. And you know what? We can can point fingers all we want, but I'm going to tell you what. It's the church's fault. Because we've abdicated our role in people's lives. Abdicated our role in our culture and our communities. Where was the church in in towns, usually? The center of town. A hundred years ago, you could find churches in the center of town all over the place, right? Where are churches now? Outskirts. We've abdicated our physical role. Okay, well, we can travel, so that's that's nothing. Really, we can travel and we can have our churches and and be outside. That's okay. But when we have that physical representation happening and we abdicate our role in the culture and in the community and we're not out being this body to the culture, the fatherlessness in this country is our fault. That's a hard one to hear. But it is. Because kids should know a confidence. Now, I'm, I'm talking about the big C church in general. I'm not talking about you particularly. You are the one that's, that's at fault. But we are one body. And that one body extends beyond the borders of this building. That one body is, I mean, we have the body of Christ here in Wenatchee. All of the churches in this town, we have a responsibility. All of the churches in Washington have a responsibility. When you start extending out from there, we get into the United States, there's a responsibility that we have. And whether we were a part of it or not, we still are a part of a, a move that has abdicated our role. So try not to be a bummer or a downer in Christmas time. That's, that's not where I'm going. I, I think that there's something about a need to step back into places that we should be. A need to be the body of Christ as we should be. To be 
in that calling that he has had on our lives. If you feel like, man, God, you've called me to do, do this thing, and I just haven't done it. I just haven't felt the confidence. Hear God saying to you that you are awesome. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you need a fortune cookie to understand that he sees you as being awesome or not? Probably not. Jesus is the ultimate fortune cookie, isn't he? Okay, that's Jeremy's theology. Sorry. Um, but in a way, Jesus' Jesus's life reads that you can read a bunch of things in there that we should be of the body of Christ and fill in your name is awesome. You are awesome. Because he is in you. Because he is, he is for you. He loves you so much that he walked that walk to the cross. God loved you so much that he sent a baby in this season to live a life for you. If everybody else had it together, everybody else in the world had it together through all time, but you were the only one that was screwed up and had sin in your life, Jesus would still have gone to the cross. Does that not wreck you? It wrecks me. But as children of God, we should have this confidence that brings peace in our lives because the love and care he shows for us. We should be confident. Lord whispers in our ear, go pray for that person. We should be like, yeah, because I'm awesome. Well, I mean, that's, that's my daughter Zoe. But something along those lines where we understand that he's called us to do a purpose in life. He's called us to a, to a, a family of God that has, that has authority as children of God to be able to speak into people's lives. That's where we've abdicated and where we can step back into with confidence and authority because he loved us first. Because we are confident in what he has promised, we are confident in our place in his kingdom. So we should be confident in calling others to that same place in the kingdom. They don't have the confidence. We should. And that confidence is where other people's lives will be changed, isn't it? It'll start with that confidence, our testimony, right? Our testimony is usually involving confidence that God has built into us. Faith. Right? That's, that's another word for that confidence. Probably a better word, right? 1 John 4, 7 through 10 says, Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God. Ooh. We were, we were talking about fatherless, but yet God wants to be our father and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us. 
when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. Confidence. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing, sacrificial offering to take away our sins. The third thought here, the final thought. I just got a phone call. Um, The third thought is true stillness comes through consistency. God has been consistent to us. Where we see true freedom is when we are consistent in our own lives and in the calling that he has for us. Following after his consistency, right? He has been consistently chasing after humanity with his love since the beginning. Since that day when you, uh, when, 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 he became, when he came searching for Adam and Eve in the garden. He has been coming and chasing after us since then. He's been consistent. He's our example of consistency. Ephesians 2, 18 through 21 says, And now, because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access to the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. If this does not give you confidence, I don't know what will. You are rising like the perfect fitting stones of the temple, and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets, and best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. We are part of God's family. This is our consistency. It's our consistency in how we're made up, like consistency, but it's also our consistency, us being constant, us being consistent. This doesn't mean being, being the same without change because that's only Jesus. It's not us. We're constantly going forward. We are constantly being raised up as that, that temple, right? It's kind of like the, 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 uh, the turtle in the hair. Who's being consistent? Turtle. Consistently going, right? Slow and steady wins the race. Run as though we were planning on winning that race, right? We are walls being built up in the holy temple, and this is our consistency. In remaining in him as he is in us, we find ourselves first in the Lord's will. Also, we find peace and shalom. Even in the crowds and the busyness that surrounds our lives, See how I said business that surrounds our lives. A lot of times we make busyness the center of our lives. And that's why I've said it before. I I feel like busyness is the number one sin of our generation. 
It's the number one sin of our culture because we put busyness in the place we should put Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we won't be busy, but when busyness takes the center focus of that, Jesus goes to the outskirts. He is not, he's not rude. He's not, I mean, it, Jesus is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit will, will not press us to put him in the middle. He wants us to make that decision and to be obedient to the Lord. Yet we push busyness to that throne of our lives. But shalom, and that shalom, that perfect peace that comes into us and takes a place at the center, Jesus takes a place at the center, that true peace, that true joy can be found. Take a deep breath in. And out. This is stillness. This is peace. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to experience this life and to walk through this life and to love those around us and, and to be awesome as you are awesome. Because God sees you as awesome. God sees you as complete. Why does he see you as complete? Because of Jesus. The blood of Jesus makes us complete. Shalom means, means completeness. So even we can be shalom because of Jesus. So my hope and my prayer this, this Christmas season is that we can be still. That we can be complete. That we can find that peace that goes past our circumstances. Because our circumstances are temporal. Our finances, our health, all of those things are temporal. Meaning, they're for a time. This life is like a breath, right? It's like a vapor, it says. But he is eternal. The life that we are going to lead with him, we're going to be in, in, in his kingdom for eternity. Right? We can't even understand that. That's one of those things in the word that's just like, I can't wrap my head around eternity. Because I'm sorry, if we did eternity in this life, we'd get really bored. Because it's so temporal. We'd want to be done. But when we get the opportunity to be before the Lord of all creation, eternity is not going to be enough. We're just going to want more and more and more, right? We're going to experience more. So, what are your wishes for this season for yourself, for your family? What are some of the things that, that in, in light of this, this connection and, and this confidence and this consistency that we should have? What do you desire as gifts for you and your family in this? 
Salvation. There's no right answer in this. I'm just I'm just getting you guys waking up, so <laughs> we'll go out from here. Right? Anybody else? My brother-in-law is kind of a rough and tumble guy. He's always done construction, so he's just kind of. But he, he, I was talking with him the other day. I'd, um, I'd gone over to, and stayed at his place, just he and I, and and he, he was like, you know, the thing I like about Christmas, it's it's like weird. Just in the last few years, I love getting gifts and watching people open them. He's like, I love it more than getting gifts. Oh, the Lord's going to get you. <laughs> yeah. He was, saying he, he was saying he even loved, because he got me some socks, because that was something I was like, I just want some socks. And he got me some socks, and he loved my response. when I, I was like, oh, and I was like hugging the socks. And he's like, that was such a good, I felt so good. That's how we should feel, right? It should not be an overbearing thing that we bring to the world. It should be something that we enjoy watching them open that gift. The gift of Jesus. Every day. Yeah. This is just a good reminder and a recharge for the rest of the year. I think it should almost be the that's the new year. It's Christmas. Oh, yeah. New Year's Eve, whatever. That's celebrating New York. Yeah. Anybody else? How about one more? With all of this, with all that's going on, with all that's going on in your lives, what does Christmas mean to you? Kenny's kind of quiet. What's Christmas mean to you, big guy? Music, yeah.
John has, thus saith John. It's his fault, I'm just saying. It's There's first, second, and third John, but those are probably for the other Johns. A what? A stillness. That's the way it should be. I think sometimes it gets a little too hectic and frenetic in our modern life. I think it was overeating. I'm just saying. Yes. I think it were, the word says that we're to be ambassadors, or we're, we're actually given the honor of being ambassadors of reconciliation. And that's to those in our family, but 
our, our physical family as well, um, to other people's family. Because sometimes we have to be agents of reconciliation with people and their family. Right. I'm just leaning on you. It's okay. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times in the last handful of years I've seen reconciliation in my life, between other people, between people that I've talked with, and, and how amazing it is that God can bring that around. God can take relationships that are, people say, we'll never hang out again, you know. And God will take those nevers. He loves taking those nevers and, and making them possible, right? Because nothing is impossible without God, or with God. Because, um, you know, we'll say never. Like, I, there was one point that um, Kelly, Kelly said, um, we'll never go to a, a church in California. We spent four years in near L.A., like the worst like example of California. Um, but we started saying, well, okay, Lord, we will never go to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> now, it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> Reverse psychology on the Lord. It just doesn't. But there's sometimes where we say that in our lives. We, we'll never talk to that person again. And, and I almost challenge you to to take what she was saying, what Gio's saying, and, and look for those nevers in you or even nevers you've seen in other people or people that are just on the edge because God, God can bring about that reconciliation swiftly. And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing, Gio. Appreciate it. Well, let's stand um, and just going to pray and send us out here.